I have a Taylor update. Let me find it. Um, so I saw Taylor had tweeted the other day, losing how many losing count of how many times I I've almost died. Hashtag travel. <laughs> and my response was because she talked about getting Zika was how this time because she just went to Thailand. If did you see that? Right. Yeah, I did. So she was our lovely guest on our Dictators episode. She's in Korea right now, and she said, I almost got into a car accident, and there was probably larvae in the sugar. Prob I in saw that. Prob I in the coffee. The yeah, that's terrifying. But I'm like, that's kind of the most Taylor thing. Right. She's so chill about it. <laughs> she was not chill about the larvae. Well, no, but everything else she's like oh yeah there's a car accident it was fine and we almost got hit by a car it's whatever this is the cult of domesticity where two best friends tell each other stories about history politics true crime and other fun stories i'm courtney i'm ashley and today we all better buckle the fuck up because this is getting dark oh god ashley is so excited for this because i told her what i was doing and i just get this text like i can't wait Wait, did you tell me? Oh, yeah, 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 you did. Okay, never mind. Did you tell me about this? Because I don't remember if you did or not. And then, yeah, no, you did. It's fine. So we're going to discuss the Kirtland cult murders. I love a good cult. Uh, this happened about, oh God, Kirtland's the town next to mine. Just Let's just slowly narrow my location. <laughs> There's not a lot well, around here. Well, these days we're just going to give out your address. It'll be fine. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> the Kirtland cult murders happened in the end of the 80s. Okay. And I'm going to give you some fun facts about Kirtland. And these aren't researched. I've just lived, my grandparents live in Kirtland, so. Oh, okay. I know right. Kirtland. Um, it's actually the second place the Mormons went at. So they Is that had where New you saw their place? No, that's in New York. Oh, I knew that. I'm sorry. Kirtland's where they went after they got kicked out of New York. Okay. Uh, the town, the big joke is the town is owned 90% by the Mormons, but it's kind of true. Excellent. They have a very good high school football team because I have to drive, there's only so many ways to get out of my town, and that's one of them. And so you see all the signs of the high school, like, <laughs> Kirtland Hornets going to states. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> um, there's actually two branches of Mormons in, um, yeah. in Kirtland. We joke there's the ones at the top of the hill and the ones at the bottom of the hill because that's that's actually legit how they're divided. Like there's a church at the top of the hill that was like Joseph Smith's. Yeah. There's another one at the bottom of the church hill. But together they own most of Kirtland, like the businesses, um, property. It's yeah. ridiculous. Did you know that there's like um, uh, Latter-day Saints headquarters in downtown Dayton? Because I sure didn't until like the last day of my internship and I finally paid attention looking out the window of the bus and I was like oh how long has that been there so I googled it it's been there for like forever and a day yeah well I it's mean been there for a long time and I was like wow okay all right um other fun Kirtland story one of the kids I was in grad school with like for some reason they were, we had a decent amount of Mormons in the program and he goes wait people I forget that people live there I just assume it's a tourist trap and I'm like there's not enough there for it to be a tourist trap yeah. okay Kirtland, let's put it this way, the amount of stuff in Kirtland makes my town look populated, which is sad because I've also referenced where I live as you could drive through it and not realize it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Love it. You should, <laughs> hometown sadness hashtag, 
exactly <laughs> not know it. We're okay. gonna make that the town motto. Okay, let's get to our story. This is about a cult, obviously, because of their Kirtland cult murders. Um, <gasps> and the leader is ends up being Jeffrey Lundgren. I'm gonna go with that's how you say his name. Um, so on April 19th, 1984, Jeffrey Lundgren, his wife Alice, and four children moved from Missouri to Kirtland. Also, you should know, most of my information is coming from a really, really good four-part series from the Cleveland News Herald. I okay. suggest you check it out. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, the Lundgrens are living in Kirtland, and then April 1987, Dennis Avery, who will become the, the devoted follower of Lundgren. Is he related to Stephen? He's from Missouri. I don't know. I've never watched Make Murder. You what? I don't want to. Yeah, no, I understand that, but still. I suffered. You should su- you should have to suffer through those haircuts. Come on now. Okay, so Dennis Avery moves to Kirtland with his wife Cheryl and daughters Trina and Rebecca and Karen. So ages 15, 13, 7 and they they're in Madison Township, which is closer to the border by Erie and Ashtabula. Okay. So November 1987, Lundgren, his family and some followers move into a rented farmhouse at, ooh, I forgot they gave the exact address. Yeah. So in case you want to go find it, 8671 Euclid Chardon Road, AK Route 6. Um, this is where he starts to organize his followers into a paramilitary religious cult. No red flags there. That's fine. That was a really impressive eye roll. Thank you. <laughs> I do what I can. January of 88, Lundgren, who has been working for the Kirtland Temple, which is the church on top of the hill, which is the tourist trap. Okay. Um, he was dismissed as a lay minister and tour guide at the Kirtland Temple, which is the reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Why is it so long? Because the more words you have, the more credible you are. Remember? Oh. That's why Donald Trump has the best words. He doesn't have very good words, but he has the best words. (laughs) The reason why he was let go was for, and this is a quote from Dale Luffman, for ethical and moral issues that are critically important to us. Basically, Temple officials revealed later that uh, Lundgren was accused of stealing between $25,000 to $40,000 from the church coffers. Excellent. Stealing that church money. Doing great. Yeah. So then in February of 88, a uh, former cult mo- member, Kevin Cur- Curry, 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 um, who became friends with Lundgren when they were in the U.S. Navy, becomes disenchanted with Lundgren and his radicalized teaching. He leaves um, Kirtland and moves to Buffalo, New York, but he visits Curry visits the FBI field office in Buffalo and tells um, the agents that Lundgren plans to use lethal force to seize the Kirtland Temple May 3rd in 1988. Why? Why Why does he want to do this? Is, he, is it because they fired him? First of all, you should, what you should know about the temple is it's, I've never been inside. I've never had the desire, but it, it's a pretty open area on a state, it's like on State Route 306. And, like, yeah, you're on a hill, so you guess you have the high ground, but Kirtland has, like, 12 cops. I don't know. Not very many. <laughs> they really love giving out speeding tickets. Oh, my gosh. Also, the Kirtland police station is uh, 
a hop, skip, and a throw down 306. Not at the bottom of the hill, still at the top of the hill from the temple. So, like, if you took it over, they're right, they're, like, right they're there. Right, they're right there. It's such a stupid plan. I mean, clearly this man is not a tactical genius. No, um, but the FBI does pass this information on to Kirtland Police Chief Dennis Yarborough. Okay, that was nice of them. I know. They were like, hey, you should know there's this paramilitary dude who's planning to take over the more the the Kirtland Temple. And what did the Kirtland police do with that information? I think they just went and tried to check up and see what was happening. They didn't really say this. They more focused on the aftermath. Okay. Fair happened. enough. Um, so then April 20, 29th, 1988, uh, Kirtland resident contacts the police and tells the patrolman that she suspects that there is a cult at this farmhouse, rented farmhouse. Um, additionally, they report that Jeffrey Lundgren's son, Caleb, had warned the neighbor children about demons emerging from the ground in May. All right. Totally normal. Continue. So May 2nd, uh, Police Chief Yarbrough confronts Jeffrey Lundgren at the Kirtland Police Station about the planned takeover of the Kirtland Temple, as well as uh, reports of gunfire at his on the property um like the euclid Trident road property mm. and basically lundgren tells his followers later that the temple takeover won't occur because he's had a conversation with a higher power aka he begins to think he's a prophet okay so this is all the good parts of a cult action all rolled into one i love it all rolled into one I've never even heard of this yeah um and the Kirtland Place begin to surveil the rev- rep. <laughs> the resident. <laughs> I love it. Okay. In September of '88, another informer comes forward. Informant comes forward to tip off deadly plans attributed to Lundgren, and this is given to um, patrolman Ron Andelsek. Um, and Andelsek shares the information with uh, the ATF and the FBI. So then April of 89, Dennis Avery's credit card was used by Lundgren to buy three guns from a Bainbridge Township gun store. With um, April 17, 1989, the Averys withdraw their three daughters from Madison schools. And unfortunately, this is the night that they're murdered. Womp womp. Yeah. Um, so basically, members of the cult who were living at the house on... Uh, Euclid Chardon Road mm-hmm. had preemptively dug a pit in the barn. And uh, I'm going to have you, before we get into this, open the the files and go to the second one. The second one? Okay. Yeah. And so that's the, the Lundgren family. The next one are the Averys. Aw. So they're just like normal families, you know. I mean, that dad definitely looks like he could be related to Stephen Avery, but I don't know. Yeah. Now I'm curious. And the next one are, is the picture of the house at the at Euclid Chardon Road. Oh, yeah. They straight up gave that address, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Don't well, worry. I guess it's public record. There's, a, there's not a house there anymore. Probably for the best. Oh, at the end, I'm going to tell you what's there now. You're going to love it. Okay. The Averys are at that house on Kirtland Chardon Road, and... They're inside the house while members, other members of the cult, because the Averys are in the cult, are in the barn. Lundgren tells uh, um, one of the guys, let's do it. 
So the first victim that left one of the cult members escorted into the barn was um, Dennis Avery. They, so the dad? The dad. Okay. They bound his hands and tossed him into the pit. Dennis, um, and this is according to police records, cried out, this isn't necessary, please, this isn't necessary. Lundgren shot Dennis twice in the back, killing him. So then left, exited the barn, and and returned moments later with Cheryl Avery, who they had no idea what was going on. So basically they brought the dad in, tied him up, shot him, like put him in the pit, shot him, brought the wife in, she had no idea. Mm -hmm. And apparently left, told Cheryl as they entered the barn, just give up, it'll be easier this way, just let go. And she didn't struggle, and she was lowered in the pit next to her husband's body. She was shot three times. The kids were playing video games when this was all happening. Luff mm-hmm. returned into the farmhouse, retrieved Trina Avery, who um, Trina is 15 at the time, and he was like, uh, let's play hide and, get, hide and seek. So once inside the bar, and she was also bound at the wrist, lowered in the pit next to her parents. She had two shots. The first grazed her head. The second pierced her skull, killing her instantly, so at least she didn't suffer. Yeah. Um, then he left, went back, and escorted Becky into the barn, and Becky is 13. Mm. Sweet baby angels. Yeah, and helped place her on top of her dead mother. Damn, dude, really? I don't, uh, from the picture of the pit, I don't think it's big enough for, like, they didn't, yeah. Um, she was shot twice, once in the thigh, once in the chest. She did not die instantly, and she struggled to breathe as Luft exited the barn to retrieve the youngest of the children. Seven-year-old Karen playfully climbed onto Luft's back for a piggyback ride to the barn. Like, they had no idea. Like, yeah. And she was lowered into the bloodstained pit. She sat next to her sisters, and she was shot in the chest and the head. I wonder when she sat down if she realized that, like, her sisters weren't alive. Becky might still be alive at this time. Because she didn't die for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So, she might have just not known what was going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, they, the men filled the uh, pit in with lime and covered, and then any extra holes were covered with dirt. Lundgren said at the time... It had to be done. It was God's will. And at the time, they were uh, killing each one. They had used a chainsaw to cover up the fact that there were shootings. Yeah, because a random midnight chainsaw isn't going to set off alarms either. No, it's it's right after dinner. Cause it's a, oh, okay. Um, because the they were pictures all said midnight, so that's why I was thinking. Okay. Well, still, that's a dirtbag move. I think, yeah, I think that the pictures just all say midnight. Gotcha. Man, I don't, I didn't put up a picture of the barn, but the barn is super creepy too. Like, I'm sure it is. It's a legitimate murder barn. Yeah. So April 18th, 1989, uh, Kirtland police officers with FBI agents arrived at Euclid Chardon Road to house to question Lundgren and his followers present. They had no idea about the murders at that time. They're just looking for weapons um, and trying to like make sure everyone's there of their own free will you know Mm -hmm. cult check (laughs) your good old cult check you want to be here right this is what you want yeah because they're not going to say no to that or they're not going to say yes to that yeah and this basically spooks the entire cult 
I'm sure it did. Because they were afraid that they're going to realize that the Averys were missing and... Or that they're going to be the next Avery family. Yeah. So Lundgren and his followers leave the house and journey to a remote campsite in West Virginia. <laughs> it's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing, but it just seems fitting to me. It, it is very Lead fitting. To West Virginia. All right. Okay. Th- that's There's what... like seven people in the whole state. Yeah. It's not that far. Let me see. <clears throat> Are you... Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, I'm seeing how long it would take. Um, it's about five hours. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's not a bad drive. It's probably, and that depends on what route you're taking too. And if you want to pay tolls. Yeah. Which for them, that's probably a hard pass because tolls can establish who went where when. But and basically, our good old patrolman Anslick, who was there at the time with Detective or Chief Yarsborough, and there's about. Like, there's such a large force that he was like, there's no, like, there was no reason to suspect that anyone had been murdered Yeah, the previous evening in the barn. Well, I mean, they did the shitty thing, but they did it in a smart way. Does that make sense? Like, they didn't have to move the bodies into the burial place because they killed them in the grave. Yeah, there was. So, there's not a whole lot of cleanup to do there. No. All the questions were focused on the temple assault plot and their relationships with Lundgren, like I said. So there was no, like, they had no reason to be worried. Mm. And none, surprisingly, none of the cult members let on what that happened the night before. They were probably scared to. Yeah. So December 31st, 1989, a disenchanted cult member, Larry Keith Johnson, um, whose wife, Kathy, left him to be with Lundgren. So I think he's a little pissed. Lord, I, mean, I shouldn't laugh, but it's <laughs> kind of funny. He's a little more than disenchanted. Yeah, it's a light word for it. Um, contacts ATF agents in Kansas City, uh, Missouri, and tells him about the murder of the Averys. He even gives the agents a hand-drawn map of the barn in the burial pit. So basically, without this really disgruntled um, guy, Larry, they would have like nothing. They probably wouldn't have known for even longer. The sad thing, this is going to be even sadder than the murders, because they're murdered in April. No one, not a relative, friend, or acquaintance had filed a missing persons report. No one. Hmm. No one thought it was weird that they weren't around. No one, nothing. That's weird. Like, it's weird that no one thought it was weird. Maybe all their friends were in the cult, and they had just distanced themselves so much that yeah, maybe. Still. The reason why investigators hadn't really thought it was weird was because they were viewed as fringe members of the cult, and they had assumed that they had either left the area with Lundgren's followers or on their own. Yeah. And Anslick, uh, Patrolman Anslick said, looking back at it now, it was a sad situation with the Averys, but they were always pretty much off to themselves. There's no but there, dude. Like, it's sad, period. Yeah really sad there's no but there yeah so january 3rd 1990 kirtland police acting on information from the atf in kansas city they arrived at the barn and began to search for the barrel pit and they had to clear um large mounds of garbage and debris and finally at towards the end of the day they approached the first set of human remains so yarborough can contacts Lake County Prosecutor Steve LaTourette, 
um, and reports the finding. So La Tourette then gets search warrants. And the first picture that I have is showing like the like them carrying um, evidence out of the barn. So the guy walking out in of the, the in the black trash bag thing. Yeah. Yeah. So even from the edge of the barn, you like from what you can see of that barn, it's it's like it's not creepy. a very it's a, it's a it was creepy before, still creepy. Yeah. So then the next day they continue the careful excavation in the barn. They're getting help from the Lake County Sheriff's Office, Lake County Crime Lab, and representatives of the prosecutor, the FBI, and ATF, as well as other law enforcement officers. It's Kirtland, like there's normally not that much crime there. It yeah. So they don't, it's not like they're East Cleveland where they see, deal with murders and all that. Right, right. Even though both, it seems like I only cover Lake County true crime. Well, the, they're just the craziest cases I know are close to home. Yeah. So for the next two days, Steve Latourette, Ron, and Dulcet, Karen Kowal. And if you remember my other case I did, I know her daughter. Yeah, I was going to say that name is familiar. I saw it and I had to Google it. I was like, wait. <laughs> So, in case you haven't listened to our murder double hatter, yeah. um, I worked for years with Karen Kowal's daughter when I was lifeguard, and I actually, her, she was campaigning, I think, for um, county prosecutor at the time, so. Dan Dunlap and Ron Walter, so they all had to witness uh, the unearthing of the barn, the remains of the barn, and Dunlap said the place was cold, damp, cold, dark, and full of trash and rubble, so there was a lot of clearing going on. They found the bodies beneath layers of soil, rocks, and garbage at the rear point of the barn's lower level. So they, they had literally buried them under, like, trash. Awesome. At the farthest point in the barn to make it even harder. And it had been almost nine months. Wow. Did they just not believe the dude whose wife shacked up with the leader? Or, like, why did it take so long? I think he didn't, he didn't come forward for a little bit, and I think... Oh, okay. Because he went to the uh, ATF. So. Oh, okay. Instead of, like, the local. Well, even then, think about it. It's, it's the early 90s. How well are they communicating between departments? Yeah, that's true. They might have called them and they did a welfare check or something and then. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, by January 5th, La Tourette gets arrest warrants for Lundgren and 12 of his followers. Um. La Tourette said there was no playbook to go by because something like this hadn't happened in, before in Lake County. I was a relatively new prosecutor in the in a place where not many major cases come up in a year. And he had charges from for the 12 accomplices ranging from conspiracy to aggravated murder to complicit, complicity to aggravated murder and um, kidnapping. And Karen Kowal said of the, um, like how La Tourette took on the case, he felt very, very strongly that this was a capital case and wanted to make sure we had the right combinations of charges on indictments. So basically, they wanted to make sure, like, they don't, like, nothing like this happens in Lake County. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to make sure that it would never happen again because all of the, the people involved got charged properly. Mm-hmm. That it basically said Lake County isn't going to take us. Well, and also, if he's saying it's a capital, he wants the charges to add up to capital, they're going for the death penalty. Yeah. So. So then in January, January 7th, 1990, Lundgren, his wife, his, and his son, Damon, are taken to custody by ATF agents in a motel between San Diego, California, and the Mexican border. So we got some runners. 
And I'm just thinking of Men in Black, where they find the guy on the turnpike, and he's like, oh, we got a runner. <laughs> and then the baby pukes on Will Smith. It's a little octopus thing. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? But uh, <laughs> That was a good reference. Shut up. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> By January 10th, uh, the Cuyahoga County Coroner's Office confirmed that the bodies were the Averys, and cult members Daniel D. Kraft and Katherine Johnson are taken into custody in the Cleveland National Forest near San Diego. So the whole cult had kind of migrated out to California to get away. Can we talk about the coincidence of the Cleveland National Forest? I know. Oh, I know. All right, guys. Because Kirtland is about 35, 40 minutes from Cleveland. Yeah. So by March 2nd, uh, one of the cult members, Richard E. Brandt, pleads guilty on five counts of aggravated murder as part of a plea deal. He gets sentenced 15 years to life in prison, and he's the first one convicted. Dude, that's like a sweetheart deal if they were going for the death penalty on everyone. He he turns state's evidence, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's a plea deal, so. Yeah, if it's a deal, you have to. Um, Pretty much. April 10th, 1990. Most of the rest of these are 1990. A judge in San Diego orders cult leader Jeffrey Lundgren and followers Daniel Kraft and Katherine Johnson extradited to Ohio. April 13th, they all arrive and are processed to the Lake County Jail and are charged with the Avery murders. And they're the last ones to be um, returned to Lake County. So cult members Dennis and Tanya Patrick are charged with conspiracy to commit aggravated murder, complicity to commit aggravated murder and kidnapping against. And the reason is given non-involvement. So basically they didn't actually kill them, but they were they knew. Yeah. Oh, and they also have one count, are convicted of one count of obstruction of justice, but their sentences are suspended. Yeah. April 20th. Sorry, I'm, I was scrolling through the pictures and like, let's talk about David Lundgren's sentence, which is four consecutive life terms, 120 years to life with parole eligibility in 120 years. Wait, which one? Uh, Damon Lundgren. Yeah. Eligible for parole in 120 years. That is the sassiness of the Ohio justice system, and I love it. It's Midwest sarcasm. It's very <laughs> polite. It's, it's procedurally correct. <laughs> we are polite enough to tell you that, <laughs> that you're going to be dead before parole comes up. It's like a subtle Midwestern fuck you. Go fuck it's, not even, it's not even subtle. It's just straight out. <laughs> okay, so... I, I enjoyed that. You're welcome. <laughs> April 20. Uh, cult member Gregory S. Whit- Winship ha- pleads guilty to five counts of complicity murder as a part of a plea deal. Again, that is a very early 90s mustache. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's sentenced 15 years to life in prison. Do you want to read the, um, because you're looking at the pictures, do you want to read what they get? So okay. I'll say, okay, so. May, May 4th, cult member Sharon Bunchley. 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 Pleads guilty to five counts of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder as a part of a plea deal. Seven to 25 years in prison, Bob. <laughs> okay, so let's go to the next. May 9th, cult member Deborah Oliveritz pleads guilty to five counts of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder as part of a plea deal. Also seven to 25 years in prison. May 18th, so they drop, Lake County Prosecutor's Office drops all charges murder and kidnapping charges against cult member Katherine Johnson for non-involvement 
She is later sentenced to one year in prison for obstruction of justice. August 1st, Alice Lundgren is convicted by a jury, jury in Lake County's Common Pleas Court for five counts of each conspiracy to commit aggravated murder and complicity to commit aggravated kidnapping and murder. It doesn't say how long she got, but I'm going to go ahead and assume it's a good long time. Yeah. Yeah. And she actually distanced herself from her husband. She's like, I didn't want this. Like, mm, I don't think. Low. Yeah. Your husband. Come on. August 3rd, cult member Susan Luff pleads on five counts of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder as part of a plea deal. Seven to 25 years in prison again. So basically, if they got the plea deal. Yeah. Well, so you kind of have to offer, I mean, if you're looking for the same level of evidence from one person or one co-defendant, like it's um, best practice to offer the same plea deal if they provide. So that kind of makes sense. So August 13th, Lundgren's trial begins, and by August 29th, Lundgren is found guilty by a jury of five counts of five counts each of aggravated murder and kidnapping. Is this Damon Lundgren? No, this is Jeffrey. Okay. Um, this is Alice is also sentenced, and she's sentenced by Judge Paul H. Mitrovich, 150 years to life in prison. So you're right. Yep. September 18th. Damien Lundgren is found guilty by a jury uh, for four counts of aggravated, four counts each of aggravated murder and kidnapping. Oh, he got, this is the one that I was talking about earlier, uh, four consecutive life terms, 120 years to life with parole eligibility in 120 years. He's real cozy. Oh yeah, he's not going anywhere. No. No. Uh, on September 20th, the jury begins um, deliberating for two hours before recommending that Lundgren be sentenced to die in the electric chair. Papa Lundgren or? Papa, Papa okay. Lundgren. Okay. Our prophet. So Jeffrey Lundgren is sentenced to die because Ohio still has the death penalty. Yeah, Ohio's in the top 10 for most people killed in that. Yeah, this is a whole other topic that we're probably not going to get into today. The next day, the judge, Martin O. Parks, uh, concurs with the jury's recommendation and sentence confirms uh, Jeffrey Lundgren's death sentence. November 5th, Daniel D. Kraft pleads guilty on five counts of aggravated murder with three counts of kidnapping. So he got 50 years to life. And, and then one incredibly 90s mullet. Wait, I want to see it. It's, it's, it's there. <laughs> it's, um... Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah. He's a creeper stash, too. Oh, yeah. He's, he's straight up 90s creep right there. Ronald B. Luft is found guilty by a jury um, for five counts each of aggravated murder and kidnapping. 170 years to life. Also, terrifying look. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And his picture in court is even creepier. Because he's yeah, like, like, you could tell. Oh, yeah. No. That prosecutor's like, can you step away from me, please? Yeah, La Tourette, he's like, Yeah, he's like, no, you're too close. Also, those glasses, both of them, aviator glasses. Everyone has aviator glasses. Look at the sheriff, too. It's clearly 1990. It's clearly late 80s, early 90s. (laughs) My mom used to have glasses like that, though. August 23rd, 1991. So we finally made it to 91. (laughs) Catherine Johnson is released 
from prison at the expiration of her sentence. Basically, um, that was the obstruction of justice one. Yeah. Then October 24th, 2006, uh, Lundgren is executed by lethal injection at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility, and he kept appealing. So with death sentences, there are mandatory appeals, like automatic appeals. So even if you don't want, like, say you're like Eileen Warnos and you don't want to keep appealing the sentence, mm-hmm. the way that the law is written is that it's done on your behalf. So I think there are two automatic appeals for uh, capital sentences in Ohio. I don't remember. But those appeals take a while to work through the system. And if it's not overturned the first time, it's you have the option to do a second one. So it does not surprise me that it took that long. Yeah. I mean, that's 15 years of just court. Oh, yeah. And all of that, all of that is out of taxpayer money because they're automated appeals. So all of those court proceedings are paid for by the taxpayers. All 15 years of housing him, taxpayers. Yeah. Like, ugh, it makes me nuts. Anyway. Latre <laughs> chose to Sorry. be present when Lundgren was executed. And he said he did not feel one twinge of sympathy as he was, Lundgren was strapped into the gurney and ministered the mix of drugs. He He's quoted as saying, the guy was a grifter and cold-blooded murderer. He deserved to die. La Tourette's comments on the Avery's fam- family that was that perished 16 years before, how sad it was for this family drawn together by love and devotion to be totally destroyed. Actually, the appeal that Lundgren was pulling was it was cruel and unusual punishment because he yeah. was a 275-pound diabetic. And it's a, it's a lawsuit oh, against the state. Yeah, well, so diabetics metabolize drugs differently. So there's really no way to tell how, like, whether it will take longer or shorter to process. So it could have taken him hours on that gurney, and they wouldn't have known, and there would be nothing they could do because they're, fe- they're required to only give a certain dosage. Mm-hmm. So even if it's three hours on and they're writhing in agony on the table... They can't. They legally can't, like, push more of the drug. They have to just wait for it to do what it's supposed to do. So, yeah, I can understand why they would argue that. It's kind of a last-ditch attempt, I think, but I can understand why they would say. Yeah, because he, Lundgren was not remorseful at all. Yeah. Like, I didn't include a lot of what he said in here because I think he deserves a voice in this. No. Those are horrible actions that he took, but... I'm, I'd rather give what the people involved in the case because it messed a lot of people up, like yeah. I said. I mean, you're talking the murder of three kids, like an entire family. Yeah, that's not cool. And they're all buried in a pit together. And they right. were- The way he went about, like the order shows that, I mean, even if the grave didn't show premeditation, the order that they did it in would be enough because right. they took out the dad first the one who had the most likely chance of overpowering them and then went from the strongest member of the family to the weakest. And the least suspecting. Right. So that's horrific. Yes, I agree. So let's get to the paroles. Okay. March 29th, 2010, Richard E. Brand was paroled after spending 19 years and 15 days in prison. December 30th, 2010, 
Gregory Winship was paroled at paroled after spending 19 years and 10 months in prison. January 2011, Sharon Buninsky was paroled after spending 19 years, 11 months in prison. And Deborah Olovitz was also paroled same same amount of time, a little less months. And January 11, 2011, Susan Luff was paroled. Those still in prison are Daniel Kraft, who is eligible in 2024, Luft, uh, 2048 is the first time, Alice, 2092, Damon, 2098. It's just really a really sad, sad story because basically it's the Dateline thing. This is like this unsuspecting town where nothing mm-hmm. ever happens. And then there's the sleepy a- towns you got to watch out for, dudes. Yeah. And then kind of the weird thing is, so in 2009, mm-hmm. the plot was basically raised to the ground. Do you want to guess what was built there? I haven't the faintest idea. A church? <laughs> oh, what, what kind of church? Um, I'm not sure what denomination. I just remember... I mean, it's definitely haunted. Is I bet it's a non-denominational church. Yeah, I think I think it is. Um, basically, they're like, this is a good thing. It'll help the community heal. It's definitely haunted. Yeah, I'm sorry. For sure. Absolutely. Because it's warmer right now. I'll make sure before uh, this goes up on Thursday, I will go and take a picture of myself in front of the church. Yes. There's a little girl in the background. I'm freaking out. Just, just oh my FYI. God. Oh, my God. I have to totally look up and see if it's haunted. I mean, you better go and tell us. I, I will. Like, yeah or nay. Uh, so I've already mentioned, like, some of my connections to why I chose this case. Like, one, right now it's between me and my grandparents' house, so I have to drive past mm-hmm. Kirtland Trident Road or Euclid Trident Road all the time. Mm-hmm. The other, and, like, the, yeah, then I found out, like, I know the one of the prosecutor's daughters. Mm-hmm. So, a funny story, because we got to lighten this up, because this is a very, very dark. Right. Real heavy. Real, real heavy. Um, back when Rob was dating my cousin Melissa, because he's been dating her my whole life. Like, mm-hmm. he was, he remembers me coming home being born. Like, that's how long I've known this Aww. man. Yeah. They weren't married at the time of my birth, because I was in their wedding. It was super cute. <laughs> and me too. <laughs> I think they got married in 98. So, like, we were, like, real, real, like, dude, late I'm 90- sure. Yeah. Like, late 90s, maybe 99. So we should share a picture of us being... I'm the flower girl. That was cute. Yeah, should we share our, brides, our flower girl pictures? We'll share it on Instagram. Yes. Oh my gosh, that was cute, then. So, Rob and Melissa, and then their two fr- like their friend who, friends who were also a couple, and I'm pretty sure I know them. They were going around the cornfields by the barn. Why? Because they were, you know, there's not a lot to do sometimes. <laughs> it's free. Kirtland has, like, the one other thing that Kirtland, like, People joke is like Kirtland has the melon heads, which if anyone knows, um, urban legends, melon heads are like these, like they're supposed to be like kid size and they have like water on their brain or something like that. And they're really creepy. Google it. Maybe I'll cover it. Uh, the guys had their friend like have a mask and like hiding in the cornfield. So they were like walking through the corn, you know, being teenagers, whatever. Mm-hmm. And their friend jumped out to scare the girls. <laughs> Oh my god, that's awful. Hilarious, but awful. 
and they ran all the way back to the car because they probably weren't come they weren't probably weren't parked on the road they probably were like cutting mm-hmm. through side things so they're cutting through fields and i just think it's so funny that, that they, is funny we're gonna turn to our podcast quarter now yay and this week we're gonna hear from the mall podcast so it's mysteries and urban legends Ooh. they're based down in australia so take a listen that's schnitzel sorry hey guys do you like mysteries and urban legends do you like creepy stories and unsolved true crime then join us every tuesday and saturday at mysteries and urban legends and get to the bottom of weird urban legends and spooky mysteries Now that you know more about Mall, and I encourage you to go listen, I'm catching up on it, and it's fascinating. Also terrifying, because I keep listening to, to it before bed, so. <laughs> Straight up. Good life decision. Hey guys, so I have a little update after we finished recording. I talked to my mom, who grew up in Kirtland, and she actually ended up knowing the daughter of the people who owned the farm that the Averys were murdered at. So just so you know, check out your local hometown murders and see maybe you have some different connections than you knew. So thank you for listening to the Cult of Domesticity. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Chorus, Spotify, and Podbean. If we're not on your preferred app, please let us know. We'll work on it real hard. Um, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes because it really helps spread the word. iTunes is how most people find podcasts. Indeed. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcasts and at The Cult of Domesticity on Instagram to get the episode tip-off, recipe of the week, and additional information about the week's topics. If you'd like to suggest a recipe or topic, you can email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. High five. High five.